we're going to be doing something, just two Sundays, just kind of a short little uh, time of, of uh, refocus that we're calling Trinity Unique. And uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be learning from an awesome church. We're going to be uh, learning from a church that really uh, had, had a tremendous impact. When I say awesome, I mean a church that people found inspiring and equipping. A church that was on the move, a church that was making an impact uh, and seeing people come to know Jesus. These are, we're talking about people who, a, a church that helped new unbelievers come into a connected relationship with the God of the universe. A church that helped people do that. And then, once they were connected to God, that helped them grow up in their faith. A church that helped people do that. Really an awesome church. Now, I don't know everything about this church. We, we, don't, we don't know everything about this church. We don't know, really, if they had a, a great band for worship time. We don't know if they had a fog machine, you know, to kind of enhance the environment. We don't know if they had great coffee. They may have had great coffee, and that never hurts. But that's not what makes a church awesome. We don't know if they had a great facility uh, or not. We don't even know if they had an, a church app, you know, uh, for, we, and and. Can you really be an awesome church unless you have a church app? Well, apparently, because this church, the church that we're going to talk about this morning, they managed to do that. Now, when I say an awesome church, I don't want you to get the wrong picture in your head because we all have this picture in our head and we need to get rid of it. It's, it's the picture of a perfect church. A perfect church. When we say awesome, it, we don't mean perfect because no church is perfect. You know that. But uh, we all still hold out hope. You know, we all have that... I know no church is perfect, but I'm still... Well, this wasn't a perfect church. This was a church that had people problems. It had some leadership problems. It had some weak theology in a couple of areas. Uh, it, it had a gap between who they were and who they could be, who God wanted them to be. So by no means perfect. Actually, they were imperfect, and their founding pastor, the pastor who had planted this church, actually at a certain point had to write them a letter to get them back on track. He'd gone on to plant other churches. He actually had to write a letter to them to kind of get them reconnected with some important things. So we're not talking about a perfect church. This wasn't perfect. But we are talking about a church that really had something going on. Uh, they were... they. They were something about them that was contagious, something that about them that changed the world around them. And I mean, if you could, if you could find that secret sauce, something about a church that change about them that actually changes the world around them, you'd want to know. I mean, we would want to know as a faith family. We'd want to know. Well, what is it that that made this church so awesome? And so we're going to spend a couple weeks, two Sundays looking at this particular church and some of the qualities that marked it, and then learn for our own faith family. And we're going to meet this church in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you'll take your Bible, open it to 1 Thessalonians, take out that awesome app that we happen to have, and uh, open it to 1 Thessalonians, because the awesome church we're talking about today is a first century church, a first century church, a group of believers in a town in Greece, Greece, and the name of this town is Thessalonica. Now, you'll still, uh, if you look at a map of Greece, you can still find the city of Thessaloniki in a modern-day map of Greece. That's where this church existed, this awesome church. 
that changed the world around them. And as, they read, as, as you read 1 Thessalonians, anytime you go to 1 Thessalonians, I'd like you to think about this when you read 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians was the, was the very first of all the New Testament books that actually was written down. So it's the earliest of all our New Testament books. Not, uh, it doesn't record the earliest events. The Gospels record the earliest events, obviously recording what, you know, the life, life and ministry of Jesus. But 1 Thessalonians was the first book of our New Testament that was actually written down. So this is what's cool about 1 Thessalonians. It's like you're on the space, the, the Hubble Space Telescope. And you're, you're traveling millions of miles away from earth, back, 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 and, and sending out these, uh, I don't really know how it works, okay? But somehow finding out, you know, you're probing the, 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 er, the early moments of the origin of the universe. When you read the book of First Thessalonians, you are traveling back in time to the Big Bang of Christianity, Back in, in time to the very earliest days of the Jesus movement, that's what makes the book of 1 Thessalonians especially interesting. And Paul had planted this church in Thessalonica, and then he'd been driven out of town, and, and uh, he's now not welcome in Thessalonica anymore. And so instead, he's writing a letter to these believers. He's writing to reconnect with them, to encourage them, and to uh, shepherd them in some areas that they need some special shepherding. And so... We're going to read about this awesome church. And what I want to start with, not the whole passage, but I'm going to start with the, the part that describes its awesomeness, the impact that this church had. So we're going, to, we're, we're going to start towards the end of the chapter. We're going to really just start with a couple of verses because we first we want to see their impact. And we see that beginning in verse 7. And so you became a model. You, the, you believers uh, in Thessalonica, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Pretty remarkable description of impact. This, this church, verse 7, says, You became a model, an example to all the believers, all the believers in this whole area. He says all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia were the two Roman provinces that, that the nation of Greece had been divided into when Rome was kind of in charge. So Rome comes, take over, takes over you know, Greece and divides it into Macedonia and Achaia, these two different parts. And Paul says that this church had become a, an example to believers in the whole area, that whole Basically what we today call the nation of Greece, Thessalonica. And, and not only verse 7 says they'd become a model, look at verse 8. We're looking at their impact. He says, Your, the Lord's message rang out from you. It rang out from you. Again, not only in Macedonia, and, but it rang out. That word rang out. It's a word that means to echo back and forth. It actually, it actually brings up. It conjures up what we think about when we talk about our vision as a faith family to reverberate in our valley. That's really the idea, reverberating, echoing back and forth. The Lord's message through this church in Thessalonica echoed back and forth again through this whole area, Macedonia and Achaia, this whole region. And what's reverberating here is not just what you see in verse 7, their example to believers, 
But what also is reverberating is the Lord's message. So here's a message to unbelievers, the message of salvation, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us and how God loves us like a hurricane and and has has provided for our relationship through Jesus. So they have a message that's reverberating. It's it's reaching believers and unbelievers. And then uh, verse 8 also says, And your faith in God has become known everywhere. Pretty amazing impact. You've got an ex- they're, they're an example that people follow. They're, they have a message that rings out. Their message rings out and echoes back and forth. And they have this faith in God that has become legend. Wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty great description. It would be awesome to be part of that church. A church that people look to as a model. A church that had a message that echoed back and forth and never quit. A church that, that faith in God had become legend. It would be awesome to be part of that church. And this section sounds a lot, really, when I read it, it's like, wow, that that's, sounds a lot like our vision for our faith family. When we talk about our valley and reverberating with influence for Jesus, impacting people who don't know Jesus and bringing the message of the good news to them and helping them turn to Jesus and then helping grow believers in, in connecting with all the good works that God has planned for them. That's a lot like what we envision for people and, and moving, the, you know, uh, moving the needle of common grace and saving grace in our valley. Our vision sounds a lot like their reality. So, how could their reality, how could we use their reality to help our vision come to fruition? That's what we want to talk about. We've got to ask, you've got to work backwards now. The reason I want to start with verses 7 and 8 is I want us to see the impact, but then you've got to ask, well, how did that happen? How is it that they had this kind of influence in their area? How did that happen? There were other churches in the area. There were other churches, and you've heard of some of them. There was a church in Berea. There was a church in Corinth. There was a church in Philippi. These are all right there in the very same area as the church in Thessalonica. So why did Paul commend this church? I mean, the compliment that he gives them, you've become a model. He doesn't compliment any other church like that. He doesn't tell any other church they've, they've had this kind of influence. So how is it that this church... Got it done. Maybe it was. Maybe they had an easier context. Maybe the environment that they were in was easier than Corinth. I mean, we all know Corinth, messy place, you know. Maybe it was easier in Thessalonica, and they had just the people were nicer there, and they were more receptive. Well, the truth is, read the book of Acts. Paul lasted three weeks in Thessalonica. He preached for three weeks. Jewish. People became believers, idol worshipers, Gentiles became believers, but by the, by the end of three weeks, it all hit the fan and they ran Paul out on a rail. You read about it in the book of Acts. So it's not like it was a nicer place. It was a place where, we'll read in a minute, they still experienced severe suffering for their faith. So it wasn't that it was easy. It, there was something else. There was something else about this church. It was something they were doing that was different. 
Let's take a look at this. If you take your time to read this chapter, and you read it a few times, it's only 10 verses long, you can begin to see some qualities emerge that, that drive this impact. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's, uh, we're going to look at these qualities that, have, that drive the impact that this church has had. And so we're going to read the passage. I'd like you to see what rises to the top as we read this. So uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 2. And I know this slide breaks every PowerPoint keynote rule for making slides. I understand that. But I want it all up there for you to be able to see, because I want us to kind of see some things over the next couple of minutes. So um, you can read it there. You can read it, uh, obviously, in the Bible that you brought with you this morning. We always, and as we read, I want you to see, what is it that made this church different? We always thank God. For all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message, uh, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, there's something amazing about this church that that emerges when you read this passage a few times over. And it shows up all the way through the passage, but it really gets its strongest start in verse 3. In verse 3, Paul says this. He says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we get a big clue for what makes this church different in this first in this first part of the past, it's verse 3. We see, uh, first of all, notice these three qualities. Faith, hope, love, right? That the, kind of the Christian triad, faith, hope, and love. And you see that faith, this church is marked by faith, hope, and love. But I want, to, I want you to notice, so these are marks of maturity, faith, hope, and love. But then I want you to notice that each of these qualities, faith, hope, and love, doesn't exist by itself in this passage. Each of these qualities expresses itself in an activity. Notice. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. Now, you might have a translation that doesn't have all those words. You might have a translation that just says work of faith, labor of love. We continue to remember your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. All right. These translators have gone to some effort to help us understand how the original reader probably read these words. Because there's a special Greek 
construction here, Greek grammar. And it's kind of a classic example of this particular kind of form of Greek grammar. And it's called a, a genitive. And a genitive, you know, is a, a certain way of, uh, a certain descriptive construction. And the way that it's constructed here, your labor of love, all right, labor is produced by love. It's, it's a special construction that takes faith, hope, and love, and then says, these qualities produce this other quality. I don't know if that makes sense, but when you read, uh, when you read this again, and you say, uh, your work produced by faith. It's a, spe- it's a Greek construction meant to show that this labor comes from faith. That, that this this, this effort comes from love, that this endurance is a product of hope, that one emerges from the other, one produces the other. So we have this activity. We have faith that produces work, love that produces labor, and hope that produces endurance. So right at the very beginning of this passage, you have this unique quality. This is a church not just marked by faith, hope, and love but marked by faith that works. Love that actually does something. Hope that actually endures. And it's this action that runs through the whole passage. That's the quality that seems to set this church in Thessalonica apart. Paul goes on. Let's just look for some action in this passage. Paul goes on in verse 4 to say, uh, We know, brothers, that He has chosen you. How do you know God has chosen someone? How could you say that? How could Paul say, we know God has chosen you? You know how he knew God chose these these believers in Thessalonica? By how they responded to the gospel message. That's what he says. We know God has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not just with words, but with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. When we brought to you the message that God loves you like a hurricane, that in His Son, Jesus, He has accomplished everything possible for the forgiveness of your sins and His adoption into His family. They responded. We'll see in a minute. They turned from their previous way of life. They turned from their idols and responded. So Paul, Paul said, listen, it was clear that, that God was at work in you because I saw how you reacted to the gospel message. That action find this church. You see more action when you get to verse 6. You became imitators of us. You didn't just sit there and, and, I mean, you started imitating us and the Lord Jesus. And in spite of severe suffering, it wasn't an easy place to follow Jesus. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So again, this activity, you see it uh, culminate in verse 9 where it says, they had a reputation for how radically they responded. They tell, Paul says, these other believers tell how you turned to God from idols. You turned. You didn't just, uh, you didn't uh, kind of lean, uh, you know, and look a little. I mean, you, you turned to God from idols to do two things. Again, action. To do what? To serve and to wait. To serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son in heaven. So this is a, this, these were people who their faith worked. Their love labored. Their hope endured. They responded to the gospel message. They became imitators. They turned to God to serve him and to wait for the Lord Jesus. Action 
That's why this group of believers had the impact that they had. Their impact came from their actions. They moved the needle in their town because they put feet to their faith. And that's what brings us to our big idea this morning. The big, the big truth that we want to we want to really leave this morning with, and it's true for people, it's true for you as an individual, and it's true for us as a church. And it's basically it's basically this: if you want to have impact, if you want to have impact, you have to act. You have to act. Now that's true for you as a parent. If you want to have impact as a parent, then you have to not just float along in the current of culture and, and your own busyness. You have to act. You have to make parenting a priority. You have to set time, create time for it, opportunities for it. If you want to disciple your kids as a parent, you can't just uh, let things happen. You've got to act. If you want to accomplish something important with your life, you say like, wow, I'm, you kind of take an assessment of where you're at in life and how old you are and how much maybe you have to go, and you're like, I want to, I want to, I want to accomplish it. Well, if you want to accomplish something, again, you have to act. Your impact comes from your action. And, and it's true for us as a church. If you want to have impact, you have to act. If we want to have impact... We have to act. That value drove this church in Thessalonica. It's, it's not just enough to have faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love uh, is not impact. I would argue, actually, that if, that's, if, if you have faith, hope, and love, and it doesn't result in behavior, if your faith doesn't work, and your love doesn't labor, and your hope doesn't produce an endurance in you, then you don't have faith, hope, and love. True faith acts. True love labors. True hope endures. And that's when a person or a church has impact. When we talk about uh, the church's, our church's vision to reverberate in this valley, we like to remind ourselves that if you want to reverberate, you know, there's a, you gotta, you gotta put the verb in reverberate. You gotta put action if you want, you gotta invest action if you wanna have impact. That our impact comes when we act. Now, right belief and right theology is important. It's important. We spent our summer on a series called Can You Dig It? And by the way, don't you miss that? Did you miss that song this morning? It's like, can we just start? every Sunday with that song, you know. I downloaded it into my iTunes. I got it now. I own it. Can you dig it? Uh, yeah, that, that's fun. Hey, that was fun. And that was important. It was important for us. We invested 12 Sundays in Can You Dig It? Uh, 12 Sundays. But to help us have right belief. But you know what? Right belief is not impact. Right belief is essential, but it's not enough. It's not enough to make a church awesome. That's not, that's not maturity, right belief. Maturity is right belief lived out in behavior. That's what makes a church awesome. That's what gives a faith family impact when they don't just believe something, but they carry it out in how they conduct themselves. And I know you know that. 
we all hold this value at Trinity. We know this. But once again, knowing it isn't enough. It's ironic. Do you see the irony here? See if you can get out your irony detector and turn it on and watch it hit red in just a minute. When we say right belief is not maturity, how do we respond to that? Right belief is not maturity. We say, I know that. Bring! Okay? I have right belief about right belief. I know that it's not maturity. But we respond, right belief is not maturity. We say, I know that. What we ought to say is, I'm doing something about that. Okay? I am doing something about that. Not I know that. Right belief is not maturity. I'm doing something about that. Because it's when our faith works and our love labors and our hope endures that we make a difference. And that's how we should measure our faith. What has it done lately? You want to know how big your faith is? What has it done lately? You want to know how, how, how strong your love is? What has it done lately? What has it sacrificed for someone? How has it labored? You want to know how strong your hope is? Well, how well are you enduring right now? Because it's hope that feeds endurance. That takes us, this, this whole idea, takes us to our church right now in this time where God has placed us in this valley. We have a, th- a church in Thessalonica that's a model to believers, and, and even down the road, a model to us. We have this timeless principle that emerges from this passage. If you want to have impact, you have to act. And now we need to apply that to this church, our valley where God has had Trinity for the past 63 years. And you want to know what's going to give our church impact? What's going to give our church It's going to make us awesome. It's not a great band or great coffee or a beautiful foyer. It's not a bulletproof doctrinal statement. That's not going to do it. It's what we do because of what we believe that is going to make our church what God wants it to be. And the reason I want us to talk about this is not because I'm trying to get you ready for anything, except whatever God has next, I just know that it's so easy to forget this. It's so easy to say, I know that. Okay? So easy for that to be our response. And to forget that our impact in this valley is not going to be what we believe. Our impact in this valley is only going to be what we believe has led us to do. What we believe is only important if it leads us to act. Now, I think our church, our faith family, I think that we have the clearest, truest, most biblically solid doctrinal statement of any church in our valley. Uh, I love what we believe. We take the Bible seriously. We not just take the Bible seriously in statement, but actually in behavior. We, we treat it carefully. We believe you ought to read it carefully and that you ought to interpret it carefully, that there are some rules. They're not, they're not hard, but, but they're true and they're principles for how to read the Bible and that if you read the Bible with these principles in mind, that that, that takes you to God's truth. And we believe that and we practice that. We interpret it carefully. We aren't the only Jesus-loving church in this city, but we do have a view of Scripture that I think is unique in our valley. And an approach to the Bible and resulting set of beliefs that sets us apart from a lot of other churches. 
And what we believe is really important, but it's only part of the equation. The other part of the equation is what are we going to do because we believe these things? How is it going to change how we spend our time and how we build relationships? How is it going to spend what we do with, with our resources? But if you could combine our faith, what we believe about God, with action, then I think you got something special. Then I think all of a sudden we've got something that this valley needs. If we'll take our beliefs about who God is and what he's done for us, and then we will act on them, that's what this valley needs. Not just our doctrinal statement, but how our doctrine drives our behavior, that's what our valley needs. And we can bring this in a way that no other church can. I'm not saying we're the only church here. I'm not saying uh, that we're the only biblical church. I'm not saying anything like that. I know I, if you know me, you, you know that that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we have something unique. And if for some reason Trinity gets wiped off the map, there's a big gap. There's a gospel gap in our valley. Because our valley needs us, not our doctrine. Our doctrine lived out in our lives. Our doctrine carried out, driving our behavior in this valley. Inside your worship folder, you've got a postcard. I'd like you to grab that for a minute. It's called Trinity Unique. It's a little white postcard. It looks like this. And on this uh, postcard, you'll find a list of some qualities that, that make up our church. And it's not inspired. It actually comes from a, a, a significant amount of thought and thinking about our church, but it's not inspired. I had a group of leaders, a couple groups of leaders, come and spend some time with me this summer in my backyard talking about Trinity. These are young, emerging leaders in our church. And we talked about this list and talked about uh, some other things that, that uh, may, may be on this list. And we kind of you know, put these things together. And, and here are these qualities that mark Trinity's uniqueness. Now, any one of these is not necessarily unique just of our church, but if you combine them all together, you get a special kind of a DNA that makes up this faith family. And I'd like to take a look at this for a minute. This is something you might want to hang on to. Um, The first of those is solid on the Bible, that Trinity in our valley, we are solid on the Bible, that we believe the Bible is God's Word. We not only believe that, but we believe that there are certain ways of approaching Scripture that are responsible and appropriate, and so we try to observe those. And so when we say solid on the Bible, we mean uh, not just a high value for the Bible, but also a careful way of approaching it, appropriate way of, of interpreting it. Not some, and again, that's not uh, something that's reserved for the special few. That's something anyone who wants to learn about how to approach the Bible can learn, how to read the Bible responsibly. And we believe that, we, we adhere to that solid on the Bible. The second one, clear on the gospel. By that, we mean that, that uh, there are churches in our city where you can spend a lot of time and not really hear what it means to have a repaired relationship with God through Jesus. You cannot hear that God loves you and sent his son, and that by simple faith in him, you can be adopted in his family. That's the most important thing that we teach at Trinity. That is our goal for every person who comes through our doors to help them understand this good news. And so we're clear on the gospel, and we don't uh, muddy it up with you got to be baptized and you got to do... That's not the gospel. The gospel is simple faith in Jesus. Third quality... Big on grace. Now, we live in a valley where the first religion 
The first religion in our valley is no religion. That's the first denomination. Zero church. Okay? The, second, or the, the next three denominations, after no church, no relationship with God, the next three, Catholics, Adventists, Mormonism, uh, Mormons, all are works-based, or at least have a significant uh, works element in each of them, let alone uh, Mormonism not even containing the gospel. But the next three denominations in our valley emphasize performance, works for salvation, works and effort in order to stay, uh, stay saved. And at Trinity, we understand that salvation is by grace. It's good for nothing. It's something that God gives as a free gift, and there isn't anything we do to earn this repaired relationship with God. That's a message our valley needs. Our valley is a performance-based valley. And you can see why at a certain point you, like, give up and join the no church. All right? If this is what church is, all these rules, then I'd just rather not be part of that because I can never do good enough. We understand we're big on grace. Not only the kind of great understanding grace and its role in salvation, but also being a place of grace where we meet people where they are. I've seen this church do that. I've seen this church meet people where they are and not where you'd like to see them. And not maybe even where you're comfortable with someone being, but you meet them where I've seen that. And this valley needs that kind of gracious acceptance. Big on grace. The next one, purposeful about spiritual growth. One quality at Trinity that marks our approach to being a church and doing church is we want to be a place where you don't have to be here very long before you understand what you can do to grow and that we provide environments where you can continue growing in your faith no matter where you're at in your maturity. We've got a pathway for that. We've got tools to help you. And we're intentional about that. We're not just hoping that you figure it out, but we're trying to guide you into that. And those first four qualities really are what make the, the next few qualities even more significant. Because, because we bring these four qualities as a church, what we do next really matters in this valley. So we look at the next quality, burdened for the whole valley. We do have a burden for the whole valley. We care about People from Tushy to Waitsburg and Walla Walla to Milton Freewater, 50,000 people. We don't think of ourselves just as a neighborhood church on the south side of Walla Walla. We have a burden for our whole valley. We feel a certain sense of stewardship for our whole valley. Next quality, uh, intergenerational in our relationships. Where you look around this morning, it's a good example uh, of how you've got the whole age spectrum in our faith family, and that's a valuable thing. We love that. We think that's, that's something that uh, is worthwhile. And it's worth sometimes having squirmy kids in the worship service like we do this morning, some of them in the back who belong to me. <laughs> and where it's like, that's okay. We love, we love little children. We love senior adults. We love everyone in between because we learn from each other as a faith family together. And that's a, that's a valuable thing. It's unique to our church. Not just our church, but it is a uniqueness here. 
committed to the generation behind us. We recognize that we want to go deep and we want to reach the generation behind us. That unless a faith family is continually bending towards the generation behind them, you will fail to reproduce the church of, of tomorrow. And so we bend towards children, we bend towards students, we bend towards young families, and that's part of going deep. And then uh, our, committed to our Spanish-speaking community, going wide and caring about the fact that we have people in our valley uh, who don't, don't even speak our language, that God has brought to this valley, and, and it's our responsibility, our stewardship as a church to reach towards them as well. And uh, there are other... There are other churches that are doing some of this, but you know what? There aren't some, there aren't churches that bring those first four qualities with them, okay? Which makes what we do even more important. Now, when you combine these qualities with the doctrinal statement that we handed out last week, you've got a powerful combination. When you combine these qualities with that doctrinal statement with uh, our vision for the valley, which is to move the needle of com- to to raise the level of common grace and saving grace by making disciples who make a difference until the, the knowledge of the glory of God fills this valley like the waters fill the sea. When you combine those qualities, all of a sudden you've got something our valley needs. And if it were to disappear. There would be a giant gap in the gospel in our valley. We're not the only place where the good news is brought to the people of this valley, but we are a critical place. And we are vital to this valley. If Trinity disappears, we leave a big gap in the gospel here. But here's the challenge for us. There's more than one way to disappear. We don't just disappear by getting hit by a meteor, all right? There's other way, there are other ways that churches disappear. And one of those is we disappear by not putting our faith into action. If all this is is belief to us, it's all just theory to us, and it doesn't drive our behavior, then, then it's, we might as well not be here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to disappear. We want to be like the church in Thessalonica, a church whose message rings out and is a model other believers and reaches unbelievers with the good news. And we want to be that church where our faith actually works and our love actually labors and our hope actually produces an endurance and a resilience in us. And that's our vision for our church. Now you're like, Brad, well, what do you, what do you, what do you got in mind? You know, what are you trying to get us ready for? And I, you know what? All I'm trying to get us ready for is what God has next. And he's going to show us. And I'll tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take faith that's going to work. It's going to take love that's going to labor, and it's going to take hope that's going to require us to endure. But we're going to discover that together. We don't have a 10-year plan or a 5-year plan for this church. We don't. We have a plan to have faith that works and love that labors and hope that endures as God shows us what is next in this valley. Putting faith into action. Now, we've done some of that. We've done some of this putting faith into action as part of Reverberate. We've been loving each other and our community. Uh, we've been doing that through uh, Blue Ridge Elementary and caring for those, uh, the faculty and students at Blue Ridge and the families connected. Many of us gave generously at Christmas time, and we're still watching that reverberate. We were able to help the Christian Aid Center and Mission Church and uh, some imagination proposals from within our faith family, fixing bicycles 
pools and installing a swing in the park still to be done, painting a house a couple weekends ago, throwing a party for our Spanish-speaking community. We're, we're trying to put actions to our faith. We put actions to our faith every Sunday when, when people come and show up and help disciple kids and students and help greet each other and, and carry out the functions of, of just a, a time of worship as well as the discipling that takes place in the middle of the week in our church. Uh, so we're doing some of that, but just like Paul is going to tell these Thessalonians in a few minutes, he compliments them in chapter 1. Just a little bit later, he says, listen, I know you're loving but I want you to love more. So Paul says, hey, you're, you're doing great, but there's more, and that's what I think is God's message for us. We're doing great. There's more. There's more. So we're, we're reverberating. Yes, we are, but there's more. I think that's what God wants to call us to. So you say, all right, well, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, let me give you a couple things as we get ready to close. The first thing that you can do to put this to work is to uh, follow what we, the, what we call the reverberate, reverberate formula. You know, it's just a simple way of thinking about what you can put into action. The reverberate formula is simply this. Be a disciple, make disciples, make a difference. That's what God calls you to do. To, first of all, be a disciple. Let me tell you, if you're not a wholehearted follower of Jesus, if you're, you're not a wholehearted disciple, you're not really of any benefit to the people around you. That doesn't mean you're the best possible Jesus follower in the world. It means that if you're not following Jesus hard, if you're not following him wholeheartedly, then you're not really valuable to the valley. That what makes salt salty is its saltiness. And the closer we are to Christ-likeness, the bigger difference we make. So you've got to be a disciple. So what does that mean? Well, it means you've got to do those things that help you grow in your faith, that help you grow in your obedience. You've got to do those things. We offer at Trinity a few things to help you with that, hopefully. A Sunday morning worship service that equips you for uh, carrying out your faith. Sunday mornings, but also uh, environments, especially our growth groups, small groups that meet in homes and, and, and study by the Scripture together, but also practice obeying it together. These are critical environments for helping people grow. And if you're not part of one of these environments, then you may not have the tools that you need to grow. And just joining a growth group isn't going isn't to take care of it. But in those growth groups, you know, we practice reading our Bibles faithfully during the week. We help you, we help you do that. We help you get consistent in and in, uh, investing in prayer in a meaningful way. We help you uh, at sharing your faith and doing some of the things that are hard to carry. Well, in, when you're in an environment of people, we're able to help you carry those things out. So be a disciple. You've got to find a way to continue growing in faith and hope and love and in a way that it gets carried out. So be a disciple. Second is to make disciples. That's the second part of the formula. Find a place to serve in Trinity's mission. This will not only, first of all, this will help you grow as a disciple, but it's also going to help you help other people. There are, we have an impact table over here in the foyer that just has cards in it. You can just pick a card and read it. And all kinds of different roles in our faith family, things you probably didn't even know existed. They're all needs that we could put someone to use right away. So I'd encourage you to go to that table and, and pick out some of those cards. Just kind of do some exploring there. Uh, we have uh, some current needs right now in our desire to go deep to students. We've got uh, Sunday morning openings for uh, classes. We've got some openings for people who want to teach and help with kids. And that is an, a critical to our mission. But you know what? Everybody's busy. 
Everybody's busy. I'm busy. You know, uh, I tell you what, when we put faith to our, when we put action to our faith, we'll have impact. You've got to act if you want to have impact. If we want to have impact in the lives of students, we've got to step up and we've got to say, yep, I would love to do that. Uh, Wednesday nights, Awana. We're, get, we're getting ready to launch Awana this Wednesday. We still have some meaningful opportunities to serve. And we'd love to put you to you to work in all kinds of different opportunities there. One unique one is in our nursery on Wednesday nights. We've got some couples who are willing to do meaningful ministry. Take, take big chunks of Awana responsibility, but they got little babies who need someone to care for them for an hour and a half on a Wednesday night in the nursery. So... Maybe that's something that God would put on your heart. If we want to have impact, we've got to act. If you want to have impact, you've got to act. Be a disciple, make disciples, and then make a difference. Find your place in the Walla Walla Valley, where you as an individual disciple, apart from this church, are raising the level of common grace and saving grace. So the first thing you can do, follow this reverberate formula. Be a disciple, make disciples, make a difference. And the second thing that you can do is you can pray for your church every day. Pray for Trinity every day. This is underemphasized by me, that we should be praying for our church every day. This is one of the most powerful and important things that we can do as a faith family. It's one of the ways that love labors and faith acts by coming to God on behalf of this group of people. So find some kind of place, find a time, find a trigger that will help you be faithful in this. Maybe when you first get up in the morning, or maybe when you spend your time reading your Bible, you always pray for your church. Or maybe when you stop and eat lunch, you always pray for your church. Or you set your iPhone to remind you. Or you do it when you floss your teeth. I don't think God cares when you do it. And I don't care if He doesn't care. But that you would find time. Ten minutes, awesome. Five minutes, beautiful. One minute, do it. One sentence, if that's all you got right now, I'll take it. I'll take it. One sentence every day. What will I pray about? Pray for unity and maturity and effectiveness. You and me. U-M-E, right? Take your worship folder and take it with you every week and use it as a prayer prompt. Use your Bible reading from that day as what you're going to pray for your faith family. You can't think of anything else to pray. Pray for your pastors, all right? Because we could use it every day. So, pray every day for your church. Here's what I would love for our church. I'm I'm done here. What I would love for our church is that we would be added to the list of churches who are inspired by the church in Thessalonica and who used their example to follow. That's what I'd love for us. If we do that, we will be a church whose impact comes from our actions. That's what I want to pray right now. Father, uh, we are thankful to you that you have, uh, wow, you've done so many things for us. You've entrusted responsibility to us to make disciples. You've put us together in this faith family, in this valley. You have... uh, given us what we need for doing this, presence of your Spirit in us and your you know, truth in the Bible to guide us. And we know that uh, it wasn't easy in Thessalonica. It's not easy here in Walla Walla, but we want to do this. And we want to just put this at your feet and say we want to follow you. We want a faith that acts.
And we ask that as we, as we take steps forward, you'll show us what that's going to look like. And then you'll remind us that our faith in you is going to be defined by what we do about it. Our love for you and our love for people is going to be defined by what we do about it. Our ability to endure is going to be defined by, uh, our ability to hope is going to be defined by our endurance. And we pray that you'll build these qualities in us. This is a work of your spirit. Help us to be as eager in responding to his work as the Thessalonians were. We ask it through Jesus. Amen.